Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, open them to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, if you've got a device, a tablet, a phone, whatever you use to read your Bible on, go ahead and open that up. If you don't have any of those things with you, there should be a Bible that looks like this on the floor around you. Why don't you go ahead and grab that, and it's page 788 in this Bible, Romans chapter 10, page 788. My name is Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor at, woo, hey, woo, hey, woo, I like that. I don't know who that was, but thank you very much. You guys like me. Good. I'm glad to be here. Hey, I, I think I should go on record too and tell you that I don't have a tattoo on my back either. Um, and I didn't bring a picture, but I'm willing to show you right now if you want. No. Woo! How many of you guys like playing charades? Anybody like playing charades? I heard that there was a post-prom party with like three hours of charades this weekend. Anybody go to that? I, that's awesome. Somebody said that's awesome. I, somebody else probably said that's awful. You guys know how charades works, right? You act something out and, and the person has to guess what word or phrase or song title, movie title, or whatever it is that you're trying to act out. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a really great way to get to know people because you get to know their, um, like their pop culture knowledge and history, right? Their background, what movies they like, what songs they like. But then the, isn't there always, whenever you've played charades, hasn't there always been that one awkward moment where two friends or a couple, it's usually a couple, get angry at one another because they couldn't guess what the other one was acting out. Like, I can't believe you didn't know that was Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. I mean, this is clearly me opening a golden ticket. And I did the Oopa Loopa dance and everything, and you didn't get that. And then all of a sudden, the party goes downhill, right? Yeah, charades is usually a lot of fun. But man, could, have you ever thought about what would happen if you had to communicate everything in your life using charades? Like, what if you had to go to a restaurant and order your food using charades. Have you ever thought about that? Like, I, I want a large pizza with a tea, you know, or like if you had to tell the doctor what was wrong using charades. Like, is it your liver? You know, it's my lower intestine, you know, and you're trying to show the doctor. Or what if you have a, a teenage child, and your teenage, teenager only communicates with you using charades? Well, never mind. That's probably <laughs> how it works. It's a fun game. But you wouldn't want to go through life, right, without the spoken word, without the ability to use language. Language is a gift from God, isn't it? I mean, it's a way to communicate very clearly and precisely what we need. And it's so much more important when it comes to communicating our faith with other people. I mean, God gave us words. He gave us the gift of the written and spoken word. And how, how, spoken word, and how important is it to use that when you're communicating with your faith to other people, the good news of Jesus? What well, we're continuing in this series today, we called Bad Coffee Mugs. We're actually ending this series today called Bad Coffee Mugs. What we're doing is we're looking at these statements, these four statements that sound like they should be Christian statements, but they're really not. We're, what we're doing is we're holding them up next to Scripture. So these are things that uh, people say, a lot of times Christians say or Christians will use, or they're, they're, they're the kind of things we print on T-shirts or bumper stickers or, yeah, even coffee mugs. And uh, what we're doing is we're comparing them to the Word of God as it's found in the Bible. And if you're a Christian, that's what you should do. Like anytime you hear something that seems to reflect God or the character of God or say something about his nature, you need to compare that to what the Bible says, which we believe is the word of God, and how that holds up to whatever your coffee mug or t-shirt or bumper sticker says. In fact, what we said is this, Ben used this phrase week one, and I really loved it. He says, as disciples of Jesus, we have to look to scripture and allow its truth to form and shape our lives. 
And so over the four weeks of this series, that's what we've been doing. And today, I want to look at the last mug in the lineup. Uh, It's the one that says, it's a common statement. It's often uh, attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And it says this, says, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. Now, I understand, I think, the intent behind this phrase. And certainly, St. Francis has a much higher esteem with most of you than I do. Um, And and I think what he's trying to say, Kevin Russell kind of hit the heart of it a couple weeks ago when he reminded us uh, that there's a call for us as Christians in Colossians 1 to live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. So in other words, there's this idea in scripture time and time again that we should be doing, if we're followers of Jesus, that we should be doing good works, that, that, that God has given us a calling, and we need to live a life worthy of that. In fact, one of the things that you notice as you read through the New Testament about the very first Christians, uh, one of the things that set them apart from the culture they lived in is that uh, people had good things to say about them. They were respected by everyone. In fact, Acts uh, 2.47 says that the Christians enjoyed the favor of all the people. We're also told throughout Scripture that if we are in Christ, you know, for those of us who have made Jesus the Lord of our lives— that our lives should bear fruit, fruit that's visible on the outside, fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So there's no doubt that for those of us who are in Christ, uh, if we've decided to follow Jesus, there should be something about our lives that's noticeably different from the rest of the culture, right? There should be this fruit on the outside that our lives should look different. In fact, you may even say our lives should look like something that preaches the gospel without words, But friends, I'm here to tell you today, when the rubber meets the road, when it comes down to saving someone's soul for eternity, when it comes to preaching the gospel, words will always be necessary. In fact, uh, let's take this passage from Romans 10. Uh, Romans is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. I'm going to talk about that here in a minute too, but we'll uh, look at this passage and then we'll unpack what it means. Romans 10, we're going to start with verse 9. Romans 10, 9 starts like this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm going to stop right there. That's what somebody came to hear this morning. All right, in this room somewhere, there are non-believers, people who have not yet put their faith in Jesus. And what you came to hear is that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. All right, that's good news. That's good news for you. So verse 10 uh, goes on. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's good news for all of us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In fact, the word gospel, when you say preach the gospel at all times, that word gospel actually means good news. And if your gospel is, I have to work a little harder to earn God's favor, well, that's not good news. If it's, I've got to do a little bit more so that I can earn my way into heaven, that's not good news. The good news is that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. How then... Verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? 
And how can they believe in the one they have not, whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? Now, that's four very logical statements we'll talk about here in a minute. How can, how can you believe unless you hear? How can you hear unless you're preached to? And how can someone preach unless they're sent? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Uh, through the word, uh, let's see, consequently, where are we? Sorry, I've lost my place there. Uh, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, and this is where I'm going to focus most of the morning, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Now, right there, that bottom line, that word, word, it's weird to say, the word, word, there, is translated, the Greek word that's used there is actually the Greek word rhema, uh, rhema. And that means, uh, that is, which is uttered with the mouth. So what Paul is writing here is he's writing that, that the way that most people will be saved is through the spoken word about Christ. All right, now, now it's not that no one ever comes to faith in any other way. I mean, God in his uh, sovereignty can use any means to save anyone. But what Paul has done is he's outlined a very logical sequence of how most people are going to come to faith in Christ, right? And they're going to they're hear because someone's preached, and they're going to preach because someone's sent. So this is the big idea for today. If you're a follower of Jesus, is it important to live a life of integrity? Absolutely. Yes, you should. Uh, should you meet people where they are? Should you cultivate relationships with people that are in your circle of influence, uh, whether they're in your workplace or your apartment or your school or your neighborhood? Yes, you should. Uh, should you treat people well, love them well? And should your actions say things about this God you claim to follow? Yes, for sure, absolutely. But probably no one's going to come to Christ because you didn't drink a beer at dinner when everybody else was drinking a beer. Right? Probably nobody's going to, when you bring them a meal because they've been in the hospital, say, thanks for bringing this meal. Will you tell me a little bit about Jesus now? That's probably not going to happen. When it comes to saving people for eternity, words will always be necessary. And so here's what I plan to do. I was going to take that five minutes and kind of introduce this topic, and then I, I was going to spend another 30 minutes hammering you all about why you're not using words to tell your friends about Jesus. And I opened up my Bible to Romans chapter 10. And I'm like, all right, God, give me something to hit him with. And uh, I believe that the Spirit spoke to me in my prayer and said, Steve, do you trust your church? And I said, yeah, I trust almost everybody in our church. <laughs> Pretty much everybody except Ben, really. <laughs> and he said, um, I believe, the Spirit said to me, people don't fail to share their faith because they don't know they're supposed to. Most people fail to share their faith because they don't know how. And so uh, what I want to do, what I want to spend for the, do for the rest of the morning is to talk about a reasonable, logical, spirit-filled way to share the gospel with someone. And that's what we're going to do for the rest of the morning today. I want to look at four steps to appropriately share your faith. If you're a Christian, this can be really valuable and practical to, for you. If you're not a Christian, you're going to figure out what your neighbor's up to or what your coworker's up to that keeps inviting you to this church, all right? This is a good way to get the, the, the opponent's playbook, all right? So four ways to effectively share your faith. If you've got your notes, I've put these in your notes. If you're on the app, they're there too. Number one is this. You need to pray for the lost. You need to pray for lost people in your lives. You, you need to know when I talk about lost people, 
I'm talking about specifically about people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you may think if you're in that category, if you're in that camp, you're here and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you may think, well, that, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I am. But I just want you to know that Jesus talked about people who didn't have a relationship with God as people who were lost. In fact, he told a lot of stories where he compared people like that to a coin that was lost or a sheep that was lost or a son that was lost. Jesus said, if you don't have this relationship in your life, you're like sheep without a shepherd. And so when I talk about lost people, that's what I'm talking about. So if you are a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have lost people in your life, are you praying for them by name and on a regular basis? Maybe you're cultivating a relationship with them. You've gone to lunch with them. You play cards with them. You play golf with them. Your kids play with their kids or whatever. But, but, but do you really pray for them on a regular basis by name? This is so important. In fact, uh, I was looking for evidence to support the fact that we should pray for lost people. And right above where I was studying in Romans 10, 9, uh, I found this verse, Romans 10, 1. Uh, Paul starts this part of his letter with this prayer. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Paul starts writing this part of the letter with a prayer. He's praying that the Israelites may be saved. Now, what you need to know is that Paul is praying for the people of God, for the church inside the province of Rome. And if you don't know, uh, Rome uh, was a very difficult culture to be a Christian. The people around the Christians uh, didn't believe what, we, what they believed, what the Christians believed. Uh, the church faced a, a lot of people who were hostile to their beliefs uh, and their norms and their values. The culture was uh, very wild and very hedonistic. There were a lot of things going on that the church didn't necessarily agree with. And the problem was ha- what was happening was the church was uh, fitting in with the culture in Rome. It, w- it was being transformed to look too much like the culture. In fact, we know that because in Romans chapter 12, Paul tells the church, hey, don't do that. Don't allow yourself to be conformed to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the way you think. Paul had to tell the church not to look too much like the world. I got to tell you, the culture in Rome sounds a lot like the culture in the United States in 2016. It's so similar today. So how does Paul start? He starts by praying for them. He prays for the lost people of Israel. He says, my sincere prayer is that they may be saved. That's where we should start too. We've got to start with prayer. If there are people in our lives that need to know the saving power of a relationship with Jesus, we've got to start with praying for them on a regular basis and by name. Not just once, but keep a list. Keep a, a, a journal, keep a, a prayer card, however you like to pray, but keep a list of the lost people in your life that you're praying for. Man, what a great feeling that'll be someday to start checking those names off. Won't it be? When you see next week somebody in the baptism tub, that you've been praying for on a regular basis? Do you know that how the spirit will just come over you and overtake you and your eyes will well up and you will just say, thank you, God, so much. I'm so glad that I was praying for that person. This has become so important to me that I gotta tell you, even as a pastor, it kind of shames me to admit this, but I won't talk with anybody about Jesus unless I prayed for him first. Because I've found, maybe I'm just a nitwit and you guys are much better at this than I am, but I have never, ever been able to lead someone to Christ outside of the context of prayer. It's so important. I love Bill Bright, who is the founder of Crew, which is the, the largest missions organization in the world now, said this, the divine order is first talk to God about men, then talk to men about God. He says, prayer is the place where people are one to Christ. Witnessing is just gathering the results of prayer. Isn't that good? Man, 
First talk to God about men, then talk to men about God. Now I want to ask, uh, maybe you're asking, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really have any lost people in my life. What if I don't have any lost people in my life? My response to you would be, open your eyes. They are all around you. You you can't tell me that in the place that you live or that you go to school or that you uh, shop or that your kids go to school or where you work, there aren't any lost people. There aren't any lost people that work with me, but I work in a church, so that's a little different. I have an excuse. (laughs) But they are all around. So then what? After you pray for them, so you, you find the lost people in your life, you start praying for them, then what's next? Number two is this. Second step is to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Many of us, when we sense someone is lost or somebody needs our help, they, they need God's help is really what they need, we, we kind of force ourselves into the situation. We, we decide in our hearts, you know, today's the day. I'm going to walk across the street and I'm going to talk to that person about Jesus and I'm going to make them dinner. I'm going to make them cookies. And I'm going to just, you know, take a cookie to, hey, would you like a cookie? Would you like to know the saving power of a relationship with Jesus Christ? And like, that's our approach, right? We've kind of decided in our heart, I'm going to do that. Instead of that approach, might I suggest one where you're listening to the Holy Spirit, where you're in step with work that he's already doing. I want you to just remember that, that the scripture tells us that God wishes everyone would be saved. The Lord is working in the lost people's life that are in your life. He is already doing work in them. What if you came alongside him and his spirit and be ready and available when he calls you to share? And I'm going to tell you, if you put yourself in the right situations with the right people often enough, he will call you to share. You know, look back at, at Romans 10. Says uh, Romans 10, 15 says, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? When you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you hang around lost people, you will eventually be sent. And you can't really choose when, and you can't really explain why, but it could be in a crisis. I mean, what if that neighbor that you've been cultivating a relationship with for months or even years, uh, what if they reach, get a medical emergency? And they don't understand why they're having to go through. And they come to you one day and say, why is this happening to me? And all of a sudden, you've got a door opened up to talk to them about your faith in Jesus. Maybe it's uh, with somebody at work that you go to lunch with every Friday. And every Friday, you're frustrated because the conversation goes about this deep. And then one Friday, all of a sudden, they just open up and share about some painful thing that's happening in their life. And you have a door. You have an opportunity because you've been there and because you're sensitive to the Spirit. uh, These conversations that might otherwise make you uncomfortable, all of a sudden, you're coming alongside God and working where he's already working. And you're you're able to ask that next question, that question that, you know, takes the conversation deeper. Like, what do you think God might want to be teaching you through this or Or how do you think that God may be present in this situation even when we don't see them? How how do you think, you know, Romans 8.28 says that God uses all things for good. Can you think of a way that God might use this for good? You can ask that next question. Guys, I want to be honest with you. Sharing your faith is hard. It's it's hard, and some of you have tried, and it hasn't really gone well. Some of you have people in your life that you just know, you know in your heart you're supposed to reach them for Christ, and then every time you share the gospel with them, they're like, nah, to the ah, to the no, 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 and you're like, no, I'm... The Lord has called me to tell you this. But I read last week that it takes the average person 12 times, 12 times hearing the gospel before they respond. And and some of you, we all, I think, know people who responded the first time. And so if the average is 12, that means some of you are way above average. Some of our friends are way above average. So don't give up. 
but don't try to go it alone either. I mean, if you're a Christian, the Lord has given you his Holy Spirit to come live inside of you. Isaiah 30, 21 says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. The Spirit is there to lead you. Don't waste it. Don't ignore it. Follow him. You know, I was struck last week when I was preparing this message. Do you know what Jesus's last command to his disciples was? A lot of times we think, well, the last thing that Jesus said was to go and make disciples of all the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, that's one of the things that Jesus told them after he died and was raised from the dead. But the last thing, the very last command Jesus ever gave to his disciples in Acts 1-4, it says this, on one occasion while eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but here's the command. Wait! But Wait! He says, but wait for the gift my father promised. That's the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit, which you've heard me speak about. Don't go yet. Jesus says the very last thing that he told his disciples before he left the earth was don't go yet. Wait on the Spirit. And then in Acts 1.8, he says, then when you, you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses. Then you will be my witnesses. You wait here. When you get the Spirit, when the Spirit calls you to go, then you will be my witnesses. Look, Jesus seems to be saying, if you go and try to build God's kingdom without God's power, you'll just be frustrated. But then he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. But for now, wait and listen and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. All right, so you've prayed for them. You've been sensitive to the Spirit. Now it's time to talk. Now what do you do? Number three is this. Learn to tell your story. Learn to tell your story. I want you to think about something here. The reason you have authority to speak into your friend's life is because they're your friends. Are you writing this down? This is good stuff. You have authority to speak into your friend's life because they're your friends. And because they're your friends, they're your fellow students, your coworkers, your family members, they care about you. And because they care about you, they care about what's happened to you and what happens to you. And the best way, I believe, to reach them in a spiritual conversation is to share with them what God has done in your life. I'm gonna give you an example from the people who are the absolute best in the world at doing this. If you think about transformation, the people who sell this the best are the people who sell physical transformation, right? And think about uh, the Jenny Craig and Nutrisystems of the world. Think about the personal trainer down at the gym or the, or the plastic surgeons. You know, they, they don't just come out and tell you what the plan is gonna look like right? They, they don't just uh, come out. And, I mean, if Jenny Craig came on and said, hey, you'll be able to eat kale and ice chips for 12 weeks, nobody's signing up, right? If the personal trainer says, uh, lift stuff over your head and sweat your butt off, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like moving, but you don't get a new house at the end. Like, nobody's signing up for that, right? The, the Botox guy, if they say, hey, let me shoot food poisoning under your skin right next to your eyeball, let's sign me up, right? No. You, how do they do that then? What do they do? They show you pictures of people who've gone through this process, right? They have a before picture and an after picture, right? And, and what they hope is that you'll look at the before picture and think, I look like the before picture, but I want to look like the after picture. And because your friends and family care about you and they care about what they care about the most is what God has done in your life, how God has transformed your life. And if you're a Christian, I hope that God has transformed your life. I hope that you are seeing fruit on the outside. I believe that none of us can encounter Jesus without being changed in a dramatic way. And if that's true, what do your before and after pictures look like? 
Can you think back to a time before you knew Christ and can you paint a picture verbally of that for people so that they can look back and see how you've changed? You know, what was your life like before Christ and what's it like now? Can you verbalize that? You should be able to. First uh, Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for everyone uh, who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The word uh, translated here as give an answer is actually the Greek word apologia. Well, we got two Greek words today. We're really going deep, aren't we? This is good stuff, right? That word apologia means literally to clear yourself, to defend yourself. In other words, Peter writes, if there is any hope in you, someday you're going to have to defend where that comes from. Be ready to tell them why it matters. You know, it's sometimes hard to see how much you've changed though, isn't it? When you think about physical transformation, if you look in the mirror every day, you can't really see the, body, the changes your body's going through. And on a spiritual basis, that happens too. A day to day, you can't really see maybe the huge transformation that Christ has made in your life because what'll happen is you get so far down the path and then you sin again or you fall into some pattern and then you go, what is happening to me? I used to, I thought that was what I used to do, but see what you used to do, it didn't even bother you. And now it bothers you so much that you think you haven't even changed. And so that's a picture, right? That's a picture of this is what I used to be like and this is what I'm like now. And so if you can paint that picture just in one area for someone, uh, it's, it's powerful how you can tell your story and compare where you used to be to where you are now. When we do baptisms, we'll do baptisms next week. And two of the questions we ask are, what was your life like before Christ? And how has Jesus changed your life? And we ask those questions for two reasons. Number one, it makes the person being baptized think about it. Like it gives them a before picture. Oh yeah, I remember. I used to really have a problem with my mouth, guarding my tongue. Or I used to really have a problem uh, with, with lust and pornography. Or I used to really have a problem with gossip. I was a gossip. And now all of a sudden it does, that doesn't uh, appeal to me anymore. So it helps people paint the picture. But the second thing is for all of you that are gonna sit here and watch baptisms next week, you're, some of you are gonna look at that and you're gonna go, they look just like my before picture. Like that's me now. Their before picture is me now. And I want to look like their after picture. And your story, if you get baptized, will speak to someone in this room. They'll say, if, if that's, their story looks like my story, if that worked for them, it can work for me too. So can you tell your story? Can you humbly and succinctly tell your story of what Christ has done in your life? It doesn't have to be everything, but anything is better than nothing at all. Uh, we have a family member that we've been praying for for a long time to come to faith in Christ. And um, she was at our house one time and um, telling the story of how she didn't believe anything that's in the Bible. And uh, she knew that we, I wasn't a pastor at the time, but she knew my wife and I were Christians. And uh, so uh, my initial thought was to uh, just write her off and say, well, she's never going to believe. I could have done that, uh, but I didn't. My second thought was just to say, well, this is what I believe. And so that's that. But that probably wouldn't work either. Uh, and so I think what the Spirit spoke to me in that moment was tell her your story. And so I told her how I used to be exactly like that. I used to not believe Scripture at all either. But then a pastor showed me uh, some things about the resurrection, and it got me thinking about how could they have faked the resurrection, you know, with the guards at the tomb, and they couldn't have done that. And so if, if Jesus, I, I came to believe that the resurrection was true, and so I believe this one little part of the Bible, and then I thought, well, I'll just trust God with this little piece, and when I trusted God with this little piece, he started to prove himself faithful. And so I trusted him with a little more. And then I trusted him with a little more. And then I trusted him with a little more. And every time I trusted him with a little more, he proved himself faithful. And I just told the story of how I came to believe uh, the Bible was God's absolute truth, not all at once, 
but a little piece at a time. Now, she still has not come to faith in Christ. We're still praying for her. But I believe that story really spoke to her and spoke right where she is. And you've got a story like that too. And I can use that story sometimes. You'll be amazed when you're able to share a little bit of your story, even when you think your story's boring. Like I didn't have some big radical transformation and a lot of you didn't either. We all know people who you know, were saved out of prison cells or saved uh, out of a drug-fueled stupor or whatever. We all know people like that. We all love stories like that. But many of us have boring stories by comparison. But you'll be amazed how people relate to that. And so when I'm talking with a skeptic, somebody who doesn't believe in scripture, I'll just tell them that story about how God saved me and gave me scripture a little piece at a time. Or if I'm talking with uh, successful business people, I used to be a successful businessman and I, I'll, I'll tell them how I was making good money and I was on an upward career trajectory and, and God reached into my heart and told me, hey, there's gotta be more to life than just making money and buying nice things for your kids. Do you ever feel that way? I'm telling you, every successful businessman I've ever met thinks, yeah, I get that. There's got to be more, than that, more to that. And I'm able to share that story with them. So if you, you've got ways that God has acted in your life that you can share. Now, if you want some help developing your story, I want to show you. We've got, um, I left some of these at the Info Hub. This is something our student team actually put together. And it's a, a one-page worksheet on how to share your story. It's got a before, a how, and an after. And all you have to do is come up with a couple little phrases. And if you use this tool, you can share your story in about a minute with somebody. It's great. If you had an elevator ride or a short car ride or whatever, you could use this to share your story. I left uh, some of these at the Info Hub. If you want some help with that, pick it. You can pick it up. But it'll sound like this. Before I met Jesus, I felt that I whatever, blank. Uh, the important things in my life to me were these things. Uh, when people ask me about Christians or the church or the Bible, I always said, but then I heard about, or I saw, or I encountered, and after, now that I'm a follower of Jesus, this is what's happened. And so this sheet is just one page. I want you to pick one of those up for free at the Info Hub uh, if you need help sharing your story. You don't have to use it, but even if you don't, come up with a way to share your story. Then, only after you've done those three things, you've prayed for the lost, you've been sensitive to the Spirit, you've shared your story with them, uh, then you can move on to step four. And step four is this. It's learn to tell God's story. Learn to tell God's story. This is where many people start. Uh, this is where street preachers start. <laughs> they go out and say, repent and be saved. That's where we start. We start with God's story, right? It's where many people who go out on witnessing trips start. It can be something like, hey, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd go? Why, why do people always die at night in those scenarios? Does nobody die during the day anymore? Look, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these questions. I think they can be useful, and, but they, I think they work much, much better within the context of a relationship where we've prayed for somebody and we've been sensitive to the Spirit as to when we have the conversation, and then we're open and we share our story first. But when you learn to tell God's story, it needs to be in a way that's compact and meaningful. And there are lots of scriptures I can point you to. Um, there are some that you probably know uh, but uh, just thinking about keeping it simple. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. So if someone is struggling with the idea, we hear this a lot in our culture, uh, struggling with the idea that Christians are bigots or hypocrites. And I wouldn't want to be a Christian like that. I don't want to follow Jesus because all the Christians I know are hypocrites or bigots. Uh, you can share John three sixteen and 17. Everybody knows, everybody knows John three sixteen. even if you're not a Christian. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But a lot of people don't know John three seventeen says, for God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So you could say, well, you know, I know a lot of Christians are judgmental, but, but Jesus didn't come to be judgmental. He didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. Or if you're talking to someone and 
you're trying to tell them about the gospel and they say, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I, I do good things. In fact, I think I'll be okay at the end. God and I are good. Uh, you can say, you know what? You, you don't have to earn God's favor. You don't have to do good things to earn God's favor. In fact, you can't because Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, a lot of us know that verse, but then the verse that comes after that says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Or somebody says, you know, I like Jesus. I think he was a good teacher, but I just don't believe this stuff about him being the son of God. Uh, you can share John 14, 6, where Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So, you know, he didn't really give us that option to believe that he was just a good teacher. He said he was the way and the truth and the life. However you decide to share the gospel or the good news, uh, I think you can see that words will be necessary. And uh, although making disciples is hard, guys, it's hard. And if I'm just really gut level honest, it's hard work to make disciples. And it's frustrating and you'll want to give up. But you can't. You can't give up. If you're a Christian, you need to tell people about Jesus. And here's the reason why. There are 7.4 billion people in the world this month. And most of them are going to hell. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Many enter through it. Many, many of our friends, many of our family face eternal separation from God. Many of our friends, many of our family, many of our neighbors, when they get to the end of this life, they face an eternity separated from the God who created them and who loves them and who desperately wants to see them saved. And the one tool he's given us on earth to make a difference in that is to be able to, for us to be able to share his story with the rest of the world. Guys, we've got to be a church that's all about helping people find the narrow road. Let's empty hell and fill up heaven. Man, if you are looking for something to give your life to, I can't think of anything more important than helping people find their way back to God. See, here's the thing. God has given us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And how unloving do we have to be not to try to take as many people as we can with us? How will they call on the one they've not believed in? How will they believe unless they hear? How will they hear unless someone preaches? And how will someone preach unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Would you pray with me? God, I'm a little overwhelmed with this call you've put on our lives. And for those of us who are followers of yours, you've given us the sole task of making disciples. And... Um, God, we're not worthy. We're not always, we don't always feel equipped, but we know and we trust that you have equipped us. That you've given us the power of prayer. You've given us the gift of your spirit and you've given us every word through your holy scriptures that we need to go and do that work. God, you've given each and every one of us a story. Help us to use it 
this week. Help us to share our story and your story with the people that need to hear it most. In Jesus' name I pray.